Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. So, we're almost going to finish chapter 16, but not quite. We're going to go to the 31st verse, so we're starting at verse 16, we're going to verse 34. Four main things we're going to be looking at is there's a slave girl with, possessed by a spirit of divination, which we're going to discuss. Uh, Paul and Silas are put in prison, so we go back to prison. <laughs> then they're, they are freed, but they stay there. This is a very sweet story. Most of what we are going to discuss, actually, will be the second half of what we read today. And then the saved jailer. And uh, Yeah, anyway, so that's what we're going to look at. And so, let's read the account, and then we'll talk about it. Everybody ready? Oh, I guess you're not. Do you want to look at it? Okay. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought uh, her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when, they had, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner, inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, uh, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with, called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when, they had, now when he uh, brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. He has ears to hear the word of God. Let him hear it. Okay. So, verses 16 through the first half of verse 18. Uh, so that's what we're doing. It'll be the verse A for the first half and B for the second half. Anyway, that's how everybody does. Anyway, so now what happened? As we went to prayer that a certain slave girl was possessed with a spirit of divination met us, uh, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to, to us uh, the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. And we'll go on to that. So they were continuing to go to prayer. Remember the last uh, um, session that they, they had gone to the river. To meet, that's where they met Lydia and those other women. And that, so they're continuing to go to prayer. And that's what they're doing. Now what happened is we went to prayer daily. Uh, that a s- certain slave girl, this is a slave girl, very young. 
she's very young, she's a very young slave girl, possessed, okay, with a spirit of divination. This word, uh, the spirit of divination, literally means python spirit. Uh, it originally referred to a myth mythical serpent uh, who guarded the temple and the seat of the oracle of Delphi. Uh, later meant to be demon-possessed or even a vent ventriloquist. The, the Greek is literally python. It looks like python, but it's pronounced puthon. But that's the Greek, which, is, which in their mythology was the name of the Pythian uh, serpent or dragon that dwelt uh, in the region of Pytho at the foot of uh, Pho Phoesis. Uh, the people of Philippi likely thought this girl was possessed by a demon who could tell fortunes. That's, what, that's very important. Okay, so... They are now seeing this as kind of a demon, but, the, but she's possessed by this demon who can tell fortunes which her masters are profiting over, okay? Um, we could get into this oracle, but, I mean, that's not the purpose of this. Uh, um, this. So, what we're going to talk about is really the pertinent information with these few verses. Okay, this girl, again, is very young. She's possessed by a spirit of divination, and, and, and again, her masters make, a, make profit based on her demon possession, which is going to play a part. So it's very important that we recognize that. Her masters make much profit by, for, by, by her fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, here's a demon possessed girl speaking truth. Now, just so you know, real quickly though, when she's saying these men are the servants of the Most High God, everybody there would have assumed she's talking about Zeus. Those are, they're not Jews there, so they think that she, she's basically talking about Zeus. That's crucial, because we see, because this, is, this, this girl is demon-possessed. When uh, there's, there's an occasion where Christ heals a demon-possessed man who's going all crazy, and, and all this stuff, and, and he, he asks the demon his name, and he says, Legion, for there are many demons in him. And he, and he ultimately casts, and basically, the, and they're all saying, you know, you are the son of God. And any time a demon starts saying, you know, we know you're the son of God, you know, have you come to torture us before the time, and all this stuff, he tells them, be quiet. He silences them. He didn't, he, he would not have the testimony of the devil. Okay? And that's why Paul, it gets greatly annoyed too, but it's very important that this is the craftiness of, of, of Satan. Satan is the father of lies, but he can use a nugget of truth, which he does, which he did in the garden, you know, hath God truly said, and then he starts to even suggest that it was every tree that God had forbidden, which it wasn't, but he will craftily make it look like truth, and it's a lie. Any man or woman who, who is possessed like this, let's just say it that way, who is influenced by the devil, who is, who is um, inspired, remember we talked about how the, the, the Bible is inspired by the word of God, whoever is inspired by the spirit of the devil will twist the truth. Will, it will, 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 will tell you that Jesus is the son of God and tell you a bunch of lies after. Beware of that. Beware of that. That happens all the time. That happens all the time. That's why don't take anything of what I say and just as gospel. Be like the Bereans. Whenever you hear somebody testify the word of God, go to your Bible and make sure it's true. Don't take any man's word for anything. 
the God is truth. Okay, so that's basically all we're going to look at. But it's very important. This girl is possessed with the spirit of divination, but she's saying true words, but really craftily to deceive these people, to deceive any people. Okay, okay, and this she did for many days. Okay, uh, 18b and 19. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities. Going back to that uh, story with the demon. So those demons were saying, you know, that demon, lesion, which means many demons were saying, you know, did you come torture us before the time? Please, you know, I ask you, you know, don't send us to the abyss. Please, you know, cast us out into those pigs over there, right? And Jesus says, go. And they, they, they go and enter into the pigs. And then all of a sudden, the whole herd of pigs run off the cliff. Basically, going into the abyss, they thought they were going to be saved through the pigs. Ultimately, they fell through the abyss, through the pigs. And then, the, the people who own the pigs got all upset. And they threw Jesus out of their city. Because they were upset that they lost their profit. They didn't care that a man was healed. These people do not care that this young girl is no longer demon-possessed. They don't care. There's been a miraculous providential healing of this girl. Real quickly, that man also, uh, there are many different accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about this. Luke's account goes on to this man, once he's in his right state of mind, he wants to follow Jesus. And he says, you know, no, no, you know me, but no, you, you were meant to stay here. You, you live your life, and now you know the truth, basically. So that man was saved. We don't have that account here, okay? But that doesn't mean that that didn't happen. I just wanted, I think that's important to recognize. Sometimes we don't see, because even in Matthew's account, it doesn't say anything about that. So we just have to understand that, you know, it, it's possible anyway that she came to Christ afterward and it's just not mentioned. It's just as possible that she didn't come to Christ after, and that's why it's not mentioned. It's just something to consider. It's not a foregone conclusion that she wasn't saved just because it doesn't say it. It's, okay, just, okay, so again, uh, came, so that very hour, so basically that very minute, that very moment, the, the demon came out of that girl. Uh, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they get angry. Now they're, they're going way beyond just casting them out of the city, which they will ultimately will do. We'll see that next week. However, they drag them into the marketplace to the authorities. They seized, Paul, we've talked about this word seized, okay? It's the same word as when they seized Jesus. They are taking him by force, them by force, and dragging them into the marketplace. This isn't a gentle thing. This isn't trying to understand. This isn't, there's no trial that happens, which we'll see. Let's go ahead and go to the next one. Um, okay, 20 through 24. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to re receive or observe. Then the multitude uh, rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding uh, the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I know this is a lot, but this has to be kind of considered together. Okay, and they brought them to the magistrates. So these are the rulers of the city, 
Okay, so they're taking them before to look like a trial. This is the way we're supposed to do it, so let's go and do this. They don't hear any of their testimony. Okay, then, and they said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. There is a huge amount of cultural and religious prejudice right there. Huge, huge anti-Semitism. Just so you know, too, and they teach customs which is, are not lawful for us being Romans. Just so you know, there's obviously no trial because we will see Paul is a Roman and they, they will, that's actually why they asked him to leave their city because then they find out that they beat and jailed Romans without a trial, which is completely unlawful. They're saying that they're teaching things that are not lawful. This trial isn't lawful, just like Christ's trial was absolutely against the law. It was a fake trial. It was a lying trial. And they are suffering the same thing as our Lord. Remember, by his stripes, we are healed. Remember that in Isaiah? By his stripes, we are healed. And the same stripes are laid on these men. They're similar. Remember when Paul was beaten with, with rods from the Jews, 40 times minus one. The Romans had no such mercy. They had not that same mercy. And this rod was really... A, a group of rods. That's what they're beating them with. That's what they're laying them with stripes. This isn't a gentle thing. This is not a meek and mild punishment. These people are beating them into submission. That's what they want. That's what they desire. No trial. No witnesses. Basically, they're the only witnesses, and sure enough, yeah, you know, uh, in, they, they, they teach customs which are not lawful for us, they're not saying anything about the healing. They're not saying anything about the demon-possessed girl being healed. Nothing. Just, just a bunch of false accusations. Just like our Lord had to deal with. Um, yeah. Uh, then the multitude rose up. It's not saying that there's one exception. Every man and woman that were there took part in this. And the magistrates tore off their clothes. It's better to say, you know, tore their garments just like we've seen, you know, when it, whenever there's ton of grief, whenever there's this big thing, this impactful thing that happens, they tear their clothes. Not all the way off, obviously, but they tear part of it, and that just shows uh, strong grief. Um, and commanded them to be beaten. So these rulers, without a fair trial, again, going back to the Lord's crucifixion, command them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they didn't care for them, they didn't wash them, as we'll see. They threw them straight in prison, fresh, with fresh wounds. No, no, no ointment, no washing, nothing. They are, they're, the stripes are still laid open and bare, and they are throwing them in prison. Now, uh, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. So basically, these are not common criminals. That's what they're saying. These are, these are capital punishment being imprisoned for a time until we decide what to do with these people. But to keep them securely, whether or not they've heard of other stories of everybody being, you know, God delivering everybody from prison over and over again, or it's because they are going to keep them securely because they are causing this supposed revolution. Okay, very important. So the jailer, having received such a charge, 
to keep them securely. He put them in the inner prison, the most secure part of the prison, okay? The innermost part of the prison, basically the center, the heart of the prison, which would be very dark, very gloomy, very terrible. But that's what they're put. And not only that, not only does he put them behind bars and, you know, imprison them, he fastens their feet in the stocks. They're most likely chains. You'll see other depictions of woods, wooden stocks, which, which were there, but we'll see in la later in the narrative that it mentions chains, so they must have been chains. Anyway, so that's that part. Um, okay, okay. 25 through 28. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, praying and uh, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. There's chains. Uh, and the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Paul and Silas had just gotten beaten, crazily beaten, more than any other of the, the other prisons, prisoners. These prisoners are seeing these beaten men come into the inner prison. And so they're thinking, these boys are vagabonds. I don't know what they did, but okay, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden, they're put in this inner prison, still bleeding and chained, and they're praying. And singing hymns to God in the darkest dungeon at the darkest hour under the most severe persecution they are praying and singing hymns to God they are praising God for this they are not saying deliver us they don't pray for deliverance None of the, the, the disciples do. We have not seen them at all, that at all in the book of Acts. They pray for boldness. And they pray for persecution, you know, slightly, you know, in a way. Keep us bold in the persecution. But they are praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. These men, beaten, bleeding, chained. And now these prisoners are like, Okay, these are interesting vagabonds. We all are in here for whatever reason. We're not singing and praying to God. <laughs> Who are these guys? What is going on here? Sometimes you'll... Jay showed us a video of, of a guy who, who was saved, thanks be to God, in prison. And he sings. And he has this story about him singing to, to where everybody could hear him. And, you know, it doesn't say anything about anybody, you know, and that's fine. But apparently everybody was listening to him. Sometimes, let me just say this. Prison is a very lonely, lonely place where the time drags on very slowly, very slowly. Prison is a very dark, dark and lonely place where the only real light is Christ himself. Even another fellow prisoner, all these other things, the only thing that can truly bring you light in that circumstance is the light of Christ. And these prisoners are hearing it. So they're not telling them to shut up. You'll see that sometimes, you know, but they're not. They're listening to them. They're not joining them, but they're listening to them. And we'll see what? Okay, here we go. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. We saw this. 
First of all, when Christ was crucified, after once he died, there was a great earthquake. The veil in the temple tore from top to bottom. We saw it in um, when when they were praying for boldness. Remember when the church came together after the first imprisonment and the first beating that the apostles had to go go through. The, they're praying, they're praising God, you know, and they're asking for boldness. They're praising Him, and then the earth shakes. There's an earthquake in the house. The house shakes. Now the prison shakes. The foundations of the prison shake. So God's not just wobbling the prison. He's shaking under the prison so that the doors all the doors open immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed all of the prisoners not just Paul and Silas and the keeper of the prison awaking from sleeps and seeing the prison doors open I mean he, you know supposing the prisoners had fled that's a that's a pretty reasonable <laughs> deduction you know uh, um, supposition drew a sword and was about to kill himself we talked about you know, we don't know what the penalties for these other men would be, but I guarantee you, if every prisoner escapes, you are going to be tortured before you're killed. And so he's going to kill himself so he doesn't have to do that, and kind of as an honorable thing because his family could be possibly part of that as well. We'll see. He has a family, so he's, killing, he's going to kill himself to avoid all of that. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. All these prisoners were listening to them praying and singing hymns. And that is enough testimony for every single one of them. Not one of them flees. Not one of them. The prison doors open. The chains are loose. Look, like, you know, if I were just in one of those prisoners, I would have been like, oh, well, thank you, God. See ya. <laughs> you know, all of them stay. Paul and Silas stay. We have to ask ourselves why. We, any of the other deliverances, they, the people fled. Remember, the angel took uh, Peter and led Peter out of that prison. They have no such thing. No, God has not said to go out. They, they, they are not meant to leap into some conclusion based on certain circumstances. They will not go until God says go. Remember, Noah didn't enter into the ark until God said, come, remember? Because then it was coming, so God was in the ark. And then he didn't go out of the ark until God said, go. Very important, these men will go nowhere unless God tells them. Okay, but not one of the prisoners leave. Not one. So, so he called with a loud voice, do, uh, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Okay. <sighs> oh, sorry. Okay. 29 and 30. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is a broken heart. So, this guy who's just about to kill himself realizes that not one of them left. Not one of them left. And remember, he was instructed, he was instructed to keep these prisoners secure. Secure. Okay, now he's asking himself, why hasn't anybody left? There's only one reason. There's only one reason. There's only one possible reason that, that can convince a prison full of men, all of them, not one of them to flee, and that is only the power of God. 
This poor man has grown up under the, under the religion of Zeus and all these mythological Greek gods who showed nothing of the sort. This man knows what's happening. This man knows why it's happening. And this man knows who knows that God. So he ran in and fell down trembling. He's not worshiping. This man's heart is broken. It's shattered. I told you, Spurgeon said, we will never have the weight of glory until we truly have and feel the weight of sin. It's very important. Unless you recognize yourself, unless you see the sin in yourself, there is nothing to save. Do you understand? Christ does not save us from our righteousness. He saves us from our sin. So we have to see our sin, see ourselves, recognize our corruption, and then fall down trembling at the foot of the cross and see our Savior dying. That will break your heart. That should break your heart. And then he will mend it. His spirit, his truth, his resurrection, his ascension. Remember when Stephen is murdered and he's standing there ready to receive him? But that conviction and then standing at the foot of the cross, seeing our Savior lifted high, pouring out all of his blood to cover us, ought to shatter our hearts like nothing else. Okay, uh, and he brought them out and says, and sirs, what must I do to be saved? We're going to consider um, some things, uh, but I've written, until a man or woman is just so shattered, they cannot be made whole. Um, okay, okay, we're going to consider Jeremiah 31, 18. There's so much here, and we're going to briefly mention, that, but this goes into what this jailer is going through. I have surely heard Ephraim. Just so you know, I know we've seen, I should have mentioned this before, Ephraim is basically another name used for Israel. And there's a big story about that, but basically what he's saying is, I have surely heard Israel bemoaning himself thus. And so Ephraim is saying this, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Real quickly, I used the King James Version because I didn't like the New King James Version. Terrible translations. Anyway, I surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Ephraim is bemoaning himself. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell with a people of unclean lips. The prophets, when they come to themselves, when they come and whenever anybody actually truly sees God, they say, woe is me. They, they pronounce an oracle of woe, basically a curse on themselves. Because again, before the perfection of God, we are all a dark shadow. We are all broken before the purity and the wholeness of God. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised. Yeah, I mean, this is symbiotic. They're kind of synonymous. But what he's saying is, you have chastised me and I have been chastised. God will chastise many men, and they will never see it that way. And they'll, they won't be bemoaning him. They'll say, how dare you, God, be chastising me? 
Ephraim says, you've chastised me, and I was chastised. As a bullock unaccustomed, unaccustomed to the yoke, we've talked about the bull and you know how it rages and doesn't want to move, and so he kicks against the, against the goads. Remember those spikes that they, they end up making, but he always is furious. But this is like a bull unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, turn me. God, turn me, and I shall be turned. You chastised me, and I was chastised. My only hope, the only way for myself, my only way of, of turning. I cannot turn myself. I've tried to turn myself, and I've now bemoaned myself because I cannot turn myself. I need you to turn me. What, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. That's what this jailer is going through. That's what this jailer, and those other prisoners likely as well. But we, we are only seeing the jailer. Very, very sweet, sweet little part. I just wanted to show, to kind of illustrate what this jailer is going through. He's come to himself. He knows himself. He knows all, everything he's learned, everything he knows of any supernatural, any, any God has fallen. It's broken, and he's come to himself. He knows who he is. Sirs. What must I do to be saved? All right. This is the final part. 31 through 34. Uh, so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you and your household, we've talked about this. The promise only isn't only to the man. The promise is to the man and his family. Because as the head of the family, you know, ultimately that's how that happens. But the, the promise is not only to him, but to his family, who he was just worried about. And so the promise is not just to him. And Paul and Silas know. You know, and so they're saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how you're saved. What must you do to be saved? Believe, and you will be saved. It's as simple as that, and we'll get to that. But it's as simple as that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So they went into more detail. They gave the gospel. But ultimately, this is the answer to your question. But I'll go into more detail to basically tell you who this Lord Jesus Christ is. <laughs> but but basically to be saved, you believe on him, and uh, uh, you will be saved. So they were, they preached the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he and and this man, who had just imprisoned these bleeding, he should have taken care of them then. Any decent person would have done that. He didn't. But now he's saved. He's a new man. Now he is taking them, albeit late. But he is taking them that same, the same hour of the night. So just so you know, obviously he took them out of the prison to his house. Okay? And now uh, um, he's taking them to wash their stripes. They're, he's taking and taking care of these, uh, the apostles. <laughs> what a sweet deal. Remember when Christ you know, washes his disciples' feet. You know, the, the Lord of lords is also the servant of servants. This man has been already given a, servant, uh, given a servant's heart. And so he's mending the wounds of these men, the deep, deep wounds. 
because I guarantee you one of the things they told him was, hey, Isaiah has been saying, by his stripes we will be healed. And they laid many stripes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will lay many on us. And they just laid a bunch on us. And then, so, he's given a servant's heart, a mending heart, to take care of these people. And so, and immediately, he and all his family were baptized. We see that whenever anybody comes to faith, we've talked about that, linking back to Christ and why that's important. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. He's taking care of them. He's being very hospitable because these are brothers now. And he rejoiced. This man can't stop rejoicing. Remember the lame man? Remember the lame man when, when he was healed? He's leaping around, and even Isaiah had prophesied about that. That man couldn't get over it. Of course he's running around, leaping around. He's, he's ecstatic. Nothing can bring this man down. Nothing. Not prison, not flogging, nothing. This man too, if, should he ever suffer likewise, will be praying and singing hymns to God. Very important. Now, having believed in the Lord and God with all his household, I want to conclude this. Do y'all know about the thief on the cross? Two thieves were hung on either side of Christ. Both of them were fleeing insults on him, you know, and, and, and mocking him, all this stuff, all this terrible stuff. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, one changes. Doesn't say why. Doesn't say how. Then all of a sudden, he hears the other thief, and he's like, Hey, I'm just kind of realizing uh, we're here justly, you know. <laughs> we, we, we actually committed a crime, and like we're, we're, being, we're suffering the just execution for the crime we actually did. This man is innocent. This man is absolutely innocent. What has he done? And he turns to Christ says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ says, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, think about this man. When we reach heaven, I can't wait to see him. What an ordeal he must have had. Right? Let's assume this, this, this idea that when we get to heaven and sit, stand before the pearly gates, either an angel or Peter or whatever, it will be Christ. But think about this scenario, right? Here this guy comes into heaven, and so they're like, you know, well, this is interesting. What are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you here? How, how did you get here? This thief on the cross knows nothing about this stuff. Okay? And so they're asking, what are you doing here? He's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know. You know, I mean, uh, you know. Basically, I'm here, you know, and basically, so, so think of something like, uh, you know, th then they go on to, well, what's your doctrine of justification? It's like, I've never heard <laughs> doctrine of justification. You know, what's your, what's your, uh, what's your soteriology? You know, are you, are you, do you have a monergistic soteriology? Do you have a synergistic soteriology? I've never heard of the word soteriology. What's your doctrine on scripture? I don't, I don't, I don't know. All of this, all of this, and you know, maybe this angel gets frustrated and brings in the supervisor angel. And, uh, and that continues. And frustration, ultimately, they finally ask, you know, you know, you don't know any of this. Why should, what do you, why should we let you in? What, what, by what, you know, status, what, what foundation do you have in coming into heaven? Basically, he says, I, I don't know about any of these things you just mentioned. All I know 
is that the man on the cross said I could come. When you come to heaven, when you go before Christ, and he asks you, why should I let you come into my kingdom? One of the things, favorite things I wrote was, your justice demands it, for your word has secured it. The only thing, the only way we have the right into heaven is because he's promised it and he has done it. We have no other reason. We have no other argument. We have no other testimony. We have no defense. None. You can try to list off a bunch of righteous virtues of you of yours. I guarantee you that will go nowhere in turn. It won't be good. Don't say, the last thing you say is, well, I was better than Hitler, which is basically the assumption of everybody. Everybody's going to heaven as long as they're not Hitler. Hitler's going to be very lonely in hell, apparently. It's ridiculous. So, get to heaven. The only thing, the only way you enter into heaven is through Christ. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we talk about all this stuff. And it's important. You know, that, that thief went straight to heaven. And so... He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily need to be strengthened in the faith and exhorted in the faith like we've seen so many times. To, to not just remain and stay and, and rest, but to build, to work your salvation, which we'll talk about some other time. But that man didn't need to. He went straight to heaven. Okay, We do. This long life, or however much time we have, ought to be, the rest of his life was spent that way, worshiping, praising Jesus before he died, the rest of his life might have been very, very, you know, very fleeting, very temporary. But he's seeing Christ. He's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way we're saved. It's the only way we're saved. Baptism, all this other stuff. None, none of that. Christ is how we're saved. Believing on him, trusting his word. Trusting the testimony and the truth and the authenticity and the authority. No other faith has this. Muslim has scales. You've got to try to outweigh your sins. Judaism, in a way, kind of teaches the same. We have a God who saved us. Not to legitimize or rationalize our sins. To save us from it. So that in our appreciation in our love that he has given to us for him that conforms us into the image and the likeness of our savior so that we do that which is right because that is all that comes out of our hearts we don't have i mean there will be times where you want to do something like we had mentioned like you're gonna want to do something in a way that you like and all that get rid of that free yourself from that Find real liberty in Him, in His grace, in His mercy, in His awesome, loving authority. He is not trying to hold you down, so don't hold Him down. Okay. But very important, I think the thief on the cross is kind of a sweet deal. You know, we talk about all these doctrines, there's systematic theology, there are all sorts of things we can talk about, glorious things, still according to God's truth. Wonderful, wonderful uh, plenary of, of different beautiful things that we can talk about for the rest of our lives. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. There should be nothing more <laughs> that we anticipate. 
Nothing more that we would look forward to all the days of our lives. Somebody should have named a show after that. All right. Anybody have any questions before? We're going to read uh, Psalm 68 real quickly. Um, Psalm 68 has, uh, you'll see in the Psalms, uh, word Selah. Okay. There are many different interpretations as to what this means, uh, but, it, but it basically means uh, to lift up or exalt. But, but it could have been, you know, a transition into a different musical instrument. There, it could have been a lot of things, but just real quickly, you'll be seeing that. So that's really all that is. It's just, it's a pause. It's probably a pause reflection of what we just said. Let's consider this for a second. And, you know, praise God for this. Selah. Take a minute. <laughs> Take a minute. Think about these things. And then, you know, we, we'll go on. But I just want to mention, we're going to see Selah. And that's what that means. Okay. All right. Anybody have any questions? Everybody good? Better still be connected. All right, let's go to this one. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. So he sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah. The earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, sent sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance. When it was weary, your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scatters kings in it, it, it was white as snow in Zalman. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them in, as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily, who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Selah. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs, belong, and to the God the Lord belong escapes from hell, from death. My goodness. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who, who still goes on his trespasses. The Lord said, I will, bring back, I will bring back from Bashan, I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may crush them in blood, and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. They have seen your possession, O God, 
processional God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the maidens playing timbrels, uh, bless God in the congregations, the Lord from the foundation of Israel. There is little Benjamin, their leader, the prince of the princes of Judah and their company, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring presents to you. Rebuke, rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples, till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. O oh, sing praises to the Lord. Selah. To him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old, indeed he sends out his voice, a mighty voice, ascribes strength to, the, strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, you are more awesome than in your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. A perpetual fountain is the grace of our God, a boundless expanse is his merciful hand, a thundering mountain is his powerful rod, his armies advance to bring down those who stand. A call to the wretched, the fool, and the lost, a cry of the grief of a mother, is the gospel which came at incomparable cost, and there is hope to be found in no other. It is the power of God to salvation, it is the pearl of immeasurable price, his eternal plan for our, regen for our regeneration, which makes, low, which makes the low valleys great heights. Poor sinner in anguished remorse, O public and contritely bowed low, to Calvary must be thy course, at which the soul-saving rivers do flow. We thank thee, our Savior, Redeemer, our Lord we will praise without end. For we are thy dream, and thou art the dreamer, we are no longer slaves but thy friend. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your tremendous grace. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your justification. Thank you for your justice and being the one who justifies. Thank you for writing our names on the palm of your hands. May that rise in us a fire for you, my God. Let, us, let that lift our souls absolute adoration and endless praise to your name. Give us tongues, give us minds, and give us hearts on fire to praise you. World without end. In your son's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.